chapter three today. And as you're turning in your Bibles there, I wanna just give you a couple of announcements. Number one, this Saturday coming up, we have Radiance, a female trio, singer, instrumentalist who will be here performing. It will be a worship concert. You are all welcome. It's a gals uh, event. Um, we will be taking up a love offering for them, but it should be amazing. It will be from 6 to 8 p.m. this Saturday, July the 8th. And so write that down in your notebook. Um, it's on the whiteboard out in the foyer. And if you have any questions about that, let us know. The following Saturday, July the 15th, is Men's Church. Uh, we're going to be having a men's service. Uh, we'll have worship and, and Justin will be sharing and I'll be sharing and Pastor Mike will be sharing and it'll be uh, a time where guys get together and uh, you know the Lord uses both men and women. This is not a thing where we have to divide or anything like that but we as men we have a job and we as men uh, are called to be the leaders in our household and this is kind of the purpose of that is to get us recalibrated and reacclimated to that goal and that, uh, that purpose and so uh July the 15th from 6 to 8 p.m. And uh, men, be there. Bring a friend. Uh, we'll have, I believe we'll have child care or a child class. And uh, so that'll be what's going on. And then in the works, we're kind of, we don't have a solid date yet, but it's coming. We're going to have the South Bay Chapel Family Picnic. The South Bay Chapel Family Picnic will be at a local park after church on a Sunday. And we'll have baptisms there. We're going to go into the lake and freeze and, and, and baptize you if you want to be baptized. So if you have any questions about that, it'll be a potluck. We'll all get together. It'll be a lot of fun. Maybe we'll bring some guitars and do some worship out there too. Water balloon fights and hot dogs and just all the glorious things that come along with summer. Amen? Because as soon as the rain dries up, snow will start falling. Okay, there you go. That being said. 1 John chapter 3. Uh, have you guys ever heard the elephant uh, and the blind men analogy, metaphor, illustration? Okay, nobody. That's good. I hate it, but I'm going to share it with you anyways. To express to you a couple of truths. Uh, story is you got four blind men and they go into a room with an elephant. And they all go out and they touch the elephant. And one of them is at the front and touches the trunk. And makes an assumption based on the trunk. Oh, it's a snake or something. He just makes an assumption based on what he's felt to determine what exactly is, is in there. And then another one feels the ears and another one feels the side and the rough skin. Another one feels the tail. All that to say, and this, this illustration is generally used to explain that truth is relevant to the person seeking it. Meaning, meaning all of them were feeling the same thing, but truth can be different sometimes. I don't disagree with that entirely. Uh, I, believe, I believe in the uh, in perspective. There are people who have perspective, different places they are in life, and they see things differently. But when this illustration is generally used, it's to say that everybody's truth is acceptable. What we can't change in that analogy or that metaphor is that it's an elephant. No matter what we feel, no matter what we touch, no matter what we think we have, the truth is, is that animal's an elephant. And I bring that to you today because in our day and age, right now, where we are living, truth is what we would call relative or fluid. What's true for you is not necessarily true for me and vice versa. And so I can live the way I choose to, you can live the way you choose to, and the reasons behind that, our truths might clash, contradict, or not line up together. And what that, the purpose of that generally is, is that I could just keep doing what I want to do. Now, the Bible tells us to live at peace as much as possible with whom we can. And I believe that we should do that. When there's an opportunity for peace, we should maintain peace. When there's a time where we're going to be the bigger person, then we should do that. Even to the point where Paul tells one of the churches, I forget which one, but he says, you know, you guys, I hear that in the church, you guys are suing each other, bringing yourselves before public courts. Wouldn't it be better if you just kind of just let that go? If one of you just said, you know what, I was wronged, but let's not bring uh, defamation to the name of Jesus. 
Wouldn't it be better if, if you went to your brother or your sister in Christ and said, look, let's reconcile rather than get revenge. Let's reconcile and let's, let's see where we can come to a common ground rather than just destroy one another. There's a time for peace, but then there's a time where the most peaceful thing you can do is stand by the truth. But we need to know what that truth is. If you were to go around and ask people in our community, in our world, what truth is, you would get a multitude, every person would have a different form of that answer or answer in a different form or a different way. Jesus, uh, when he was brought before Pilate in John chapter 18, um, Pilate began to ask, you know, like, what, why, did they, why did they arrest you? Why did they bring you to me? What, what's the deal, you know? And he's, Jesus starts to talk about how he has this kingdom and how it's not of this world. It's, it's different. It's not here. It's not here yet. There's a day where that kingdom will be here. The kingdom uh, of Christ will be on the earth, but that day's not here yet. It's still not here yet. It's why we pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven because there's a divide right now. But he begins to tell Pilate, you know, I have this kingdom. So Pilate makes the right assumption. Oh, so you are a king. You're telling me you are a king. And Jesus even asks him, look, are you making sort of like a, 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 um, an investigative kind of deduction? Are you deducing this? Or is this something that the spirit is revealing to you? Uh, kind of like the way he did with Peter, where Peter said, you know, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but the spirit of God. And then when Jesus tells him the truth, Pilate says some pretty famous words. What is truth? What is truth? That's a huge question. If you are a contractor or work with your hands or woodworker, if you make things with fabric or, or you're crafty or you're a baker and, or, or a chef or a cook, you know how vitally important it is to have the truth of the measurements you're about to use. If you're a contractor and, you, and you're, somebody's, you know, if you're going to hire a contractor and they come to your house and you're like, I want to do this and they kind of just spitball it and they don't have a tape measure and they don't have one of those L-shaped rulers, T-square thing, whatever it's called, and they're not measuring anything, that should be a red flag. You should be like, whoa, okay, I, I, you're probably really good, but there's some exact measurements here. Or let's say they bring out a tape measure and every inch is actually like an inch and a half and it's off. And like, look, my house is measured, measured by normal inches, American inches. Like, I don't know about your funny ruler. Like, everything's going to be off. If you've, ever, if you've ever made that mistake, my, my children have done this as they've been going through school. They'll take the ruler and they go to measure a line and they have centimeters instead of the inches. And they're like, oh, you know, you have a two-inch line. And they're like, I'm like, how big is that? Oh, it's like 36 inches. What? Oh, I'm using centimeters. Oh, okay. okay, flip it around. Oh, it's two inches. The truth of that measurement will determine the outcome of what you're creating, right? If you're a baker and you're called to use three cups of flour, but you use one cup or, or one and a half cups, you have the wrong measuring cup, that recipe is not going to come out right. And you can't just simply claim, well, this is a disaster because that was true to me. No, you'd walk away and say, ah, I didn't use the right measurement. Other word, in, in other words, I didn't use the right truth. John says this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, or for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And today's verse, verse 19, will kind of be the, 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 the thrust of what we talk about. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before God. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that, uh, excuse me, by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. 
Let's pray. Lord, um, your word is good. And what we seek today is the truth. I'm seeking to give the truth, Lord, your truth, not, not my truth or the world's truth, but your truth, your measurement, your ideal, your standard today. May everything else just fall away, Lord. I pray if it, if it is needed, Lord, you'd bring conviction that leads to repentance. Not, not guilt that leads to shame, but conviction that leads to repentance, Lord. And ultimately freedom in Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's 4th of July weekend, right? I thought it was very, uh, very awesome for Tim to bring uh, that one song. I didn't know that song. Uh, I'd heard it once before and uh, I didn't really know the lyrics of it. And it talked about how in Christ there is freedom. And we're gonna talk about that a lot today because the truth brings freedom. And our country is celebrating uh, our, our 200 some odd years of freedom, um, uh, freer than most people in the world anyways. It's maybe not be, it's not absolute freedom where you can do anything you'd want, right? I mean, we can't take other people's property and you know, there's certain things we can't do, um, but we have relative freedom to do basically anything we want. You know, there are people today uh, on the other side of the world that you know, have had to avoid landmines and being captured by people like ISIS and Al-Qaeda simply for their faith, simply to go to church. And, uh, and, and we woke up in relative you know, freedom. We got up, went to church because we wanted to. Went to church because that was our choice and we should never take that freedom for granted. We should always rejoice in that and enjoy it while we have it because there's no guarantee we'll always have it. Um, we're kind of in a sermon series within a sermon series. Last week, we talked about knowing love. This week, we're talking about knowing uh, the truth. And next week, we'll talk about knowing the Spirit, specifically the Holy Spirit of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. This word know is, in the Greek, it's gnosko. It means to connect the dots. It means to look at the evidence before you and then see the whole picture. And, and, and John says to the, to the church, you know, you, you can know these things. You can know love. And it's this attack, it's this, uh, this bombardment against the Gnostics who would say, you know, only a select few would know. A Gnostic preacher or teacher would come up and say, you know, there's maybe three of you in here that know the truth. And the rest of you, maybe you'll get there someday through giving more, secret meetings or secret knowledge. There'd be all these criteria for you to, to maybe know and climb that sort of ladder of knowledge about God. And so John goes directly after that and says, no, you know love. And that love is the love of a father to a child. And, and not just that, but this agape love, this pouring out love. You know, if any good thing can come out of this rain these last few days and few weeks, is, is imagine God's agape love like that rain just being poured out and poured out and poured out. And you're like, enough already. And it's like, nope, God's not done pouring his love out upon you. Never say it's enough. It, it, it always, always let the Lord just keep loving you. But this week we talk about knowing truth because while the culture will tell us truth is relative or truth is kind of like that ambiguous, out there, kind of it, it's there, but who can really know it type of thing. Sort of, sort of the same response uh, Pontius Pilate had. You know, what, what is truth? And everybody's just like, well, I, I don't know. Well, the word tells us we can know and we will know. We can know because Jesus. All the things we do are because of Jesus. My children, when I ask them questions, you know, the biblical questions, they'll always answer Jesus first because nine times out of 10, that's gonna be the answer. And so if I ever ask you questions you know, from the pulpit, you know, nine times out of 10, the answer is gonna be Jesus because Jesus, through him and by him and for him are all things created and, and you were made for him and you were made to glorify him and you were brought back to life for him and for you and for the, for the gospel. Now, ask yourself this, where is there Gnostic teaching in your life? And, and Gnostic I'm using for a metaphor is just false teaching. I wish as a pastor and teacher, I never had to go after uh, false teaching. I do my best to restrain myself to not bring you a laundry list of people that I wanna throw under the bus. I know some people do that and what they end up doing is just using that to kind of puff themselves up and, and I find that to be very detrimental. It doesn't get to the actual truth, it just kind of gets everybody divided. And so what we must be diligent in doing is questioning what we're being taught. The Lord wants you to be discerning the Lord wants me to help you. You know, you come to me, well, I heard this, blah, blah, blah. But at some point to be like, I heard this and it, I, don't, I don't think that that's what the word says. 
I hear this teaching and, and there's something about it. I don't know. Seems kind of fishy to me. For us to be rooted, grounded in Christ so when, the, when false teaching does come, Gnostic teaching comes, we recognize it and we don't fall. We don't get duped by it. Because false teaching, sometimes there's good teachers that just have bad teaching and they get better. You know, the Lord just kind of refines them and they, they, they come out of that. But then there are, are people who are wolves in sheep's clothing and they are trying to manipulate and capture sheep and manipulate them and change them. So we go after false teachings, especially when the word of God addresses it. The whole, the whole thrust of 1 John is to address this darkness that's come into the church by bringing the light of Jesus Christ. There are writers like Paul who will address by name the people who have kind of infiltrated. We're not at that point. So what we're gonna do is just talk about teaching. You need to ask yourself, is there false teaching in my, my arsenal? Look at it like this. You have a bunch of weapons before you. Which one of, them's, which one of them are faulty? Which one of them, you know, if it was a sword, is it rusty and dull? Is it broken and cracked? You know, if it was a shield, you know, is it, is it starting to give way? Is it starting to bend? If it, were, if it were a gun, you know, is it, is it loaded? You know, is it ready to go? Is it oiled and is it maintained? In your arsenal, in your biblical arsenal of, of weaponry, the, the teachings that you've been given over the course of your spiritual life, you know, which one of them are, which, I keep saying thems, which one of them is solid and which ones are kind of on shaky ground? You're like, I don't know. Seems like a lot of things got to fall into place for this one truth to work. And if one little piece is moved, the whole thing comes tumbling down. One of those false teachings we're gonna address today is actually a scripture here. You may have heard it, maybe you didn't, but let me read it to you. Let me read it to you, just the line that's generally said, and then we'll get into it just a little bit there. Whatever we ask, we receive from him, and that's usually all you hear. Um... This verse, along with a couple others in the Gospels, are used to tell you, you can get anything you want from God. Anything that you ask for, God is obligated to give you. And I here to tell you, that's absolutely true. But let me, let me buffer that. Let me add to that. Number one, the context of the scripture that it's in. What is John telling us? He's talking about people whose desires are to do the commands of God and those commands being to love Jesus and to love others. But let me share with you a verse that we've gone over on a Wednesday night just a few weeks ago in James chapter four, verse one. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And I don't know where you're at today, but these next few verses, if you were looking for warm and fuzzy, they're not gonna be warm and fuzzy. James says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be torn, turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Notice how James says, look, you're asking for stuff and you're asking it for it and not getting it because you're asking for the wrong reasons. You're asking in the wrong way. And then when you don't get what you want, what do you do? You act like spoiled children. Have you ever asked a room full of kids what they want if they could have anything they wanted? You'll have a consensus, but as soon as one kid doesn't get what they want, what happens with unruly, unbridled children? They start fighting. They turn on each other. No, I want this. No, I want that. No, I want this toy. No, I want that toy. I want to go play outside. No, I want to play inside. Well, you're stupid. Well, you're an ugly head. 
And the only thing that changes when you get older is the adjectives we use to describe the people that disagree with us get a little more colorful. James says, look, you're asking of God, good thing, and you might even be asking for a good thing, but then you don't get what you want and it shows where your heart truly is. How do you respond when God does not give you what you want? When you ask for something, how do you respond? Let's, let's look over the fact for just a moment of what you're even asking for. Let's assume, let me, let me just assume you're asking for a good thing. Heal this person, bring finances to pay a bill, bring a job, bring a relationship. Those are good things, nothing wrong with those. You've prayed for him, I've prayed for him. But what happens when we don't get something in the manner that we want, in the timing that we want, how do we, how do we respond? Do we become angry and bitter? James says, look, where your heart truly is was just revealed. He starts associating that with, with res, you know, to get over that, you've got to resist the devil. Why? Because the devil's going to lead you into the temptation of that mindset. He tells the church, you know, you don't get what you want, so you murder. And I don't, maybe he's talking metaphorically. Maybe there are people in that church that literally took the lives of other people because they wouldn't give them what they wanted. Certainly wouldn't be the first time we've heard that story, right? I mean, we go back to the beginning of Genesis and we know that Cain and Abel went through that same scenario. He says, you know, you ask and, and, and then you covet. And maybe you cloak it in a lot of spiritual talk, but... God knows our heart. And the good news is God knows our heart, but the bad news is that God knows our heart. So when we ask for something, we're like, oh Lord, may you be glorified. God's gonna be glorified either way. God, God may answer your prayer. He may not answer your prayer. He's gonna gl be glorified either way. It's the nature and the essence of who he is. He is glory. I mean, he's, yes, he'll be glorified, but he's the essence of glory. He, he is glory. Will God answer or give to you what you ask for? Yeah, but what are you asking for? One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 51 and 10. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This Psalm was written by King David in response to Nathan the prophet come and call, coming and calling him out on his sin with Bathsheba. When his heart was broken, by the words of the prophet from God that what he had done had been seen. Now, what, what did David do? He committed adultery with Bathsheba, uh, adultery against his own wife, causing her to commit adultery against her husband, Uriah, got her pregnant, and then to cover up the pregnancy, tried to get Uriah to have sex with his wife so that it would look like his baby. And when that didn't work because Uriah was an upright man, um, sent him out into battle with orders, a letter in his hand telling the commander in general, look, when everybody's out in the front line, have everybody step back so that Uriah's out there by himself and he's taken out. David committed adultery, caused another woman to commit adultery, impregnated that woman, and then killed her husband. And then shortly thereafter took Uriah, as, or excuse me, took Bathsheba as his wife. I don't know about you, but if we're measuring sin according to human standards, you and I, we're like way down here. <laughs> Most of us, I don't think we've done one of those things. We certainly haven't done all five. I didn't even put in polygamy. That is number six. So Nathan, you know, if you ever think that the Lord's not seeing your sin, God sees your sin. He sends this prophet, Nathan, and You've seen the story, you know, with the sheep and you, you know, you, uh, poor man had one sheep, rich man had tons of sheep and the rich man went and took the poor man's sheep and killed it. You're that man and it breaks David's heart. I mean, it doesn't break David's heart like, oh, I'm so sad. It breaks him. Like if he was glass, just shattered. And this was his response. Lord, create in me a clean heart. He doesn't say, why do you make women so beautiful? Why did you make me want Bathsheba so much? You know, why didn't you bring her to my life earlier? You know, why, why didn't you do all of these things? He says, the problem's right here. Sin is in there and I need to be delivered from it. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. 
See, when God does that in you, your prayers, your requests, your petitions and supplications, all the fancy words the Bible uses for prayer and asking God become entirely different. You start losing sight of the stuff you have and you start seeing people as people to serve and to love and to pray for them and, to, and what do they need? And what do I really need? Do I, do I really need that thing I'm praying for? Why am I praying for that thing? Am I looking for a false sense of security? Am I looking for a hit of dopamine from my brain so that I feel good for a moment? So, that I, so I lose sight of the things that are going on? Am I truly asking this person would be healed so that God would be glorified or so that I don't have to suffer their loss? Where are our hearts? James says you, you do not get because you ask for the, first you don't ask and when you do ask, you ask for the wrong reasons. And so we gotta root that out. We gotta let the Lord get in there and just like mess things up. Create a, in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. That's a good prayer. And maybe that's all you pray because you don't know what else to pray. Start there. It was a prayer for David. Worked pretty well for him. God continued to use him. I mean, his life was altered after that. He certainly wasn't the man he was before. But God still took his only begotten son and sat him on that same throne. Amen? Amen. John says that we know love because of the love that's been expressed to us. We see it in God, this pouring out of love. It's a knowledge that we can attain. We can connect the dots and see. We can look at the cross. We can look at Jesus. We can look at his sacrifice. We can look at our sin and we can start to put that picture together and see salvation and see love. In verse 18, he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You know, we, we know that we're of the truth based on how we treat other people. You know, when somebody else is just a burden to you, when they're just a problem, when they're just somebody to shoo away because they need this or they need that or they need this again or, you know, they're just not getting better or something like that, when they become tedious to you or maybe they're just not the funnest people to be around, maybe they are really like a Debbie Downer type of a person and they're negative and you find excuses to stay away from. Maybe they, maybe they fit all that criteria, but the Bible tells us that how we treat people, especially those who are in need, says everything about us. Don't you hate that? Oh man, don't you hate that you can't hide everything I mean, doesn't your flesh hate that you can't, now in our spirit, of course, we don't hate that. That's a good thing. But our flesh is like, no, I want to mask that I really am a giving, loving person all of the time to every person. But how we treat people kind of shows our cards, right? We could say all day, oh, I love everybody. But then God always brings that person around and you're like, oh, he's calling me out. He's showing me who I really am. Church, that's a good thing. It's a good thing when the Lord is mindful of you. Just like a good parent taking care of their child continuously, never letting them go too far, the Lord's eyes on you are a good thing. And he'll bring you those people in your life that are hard to love, not to make your life miserable, but to make you more loving. So that he indeed will be glorified in how you live your life. You know, the Lord will see you love the giving person and say, yeah, that's natural. That's A plus B equals C. Somebody gives something to you. And so you love them. That makes sense. But the essence of agape love is you love that person and you pour out love upon them when they've done nothing for you at all. I think a better definition for that is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While we did not deserve it and did nothing for God, God poured out agape love upon us through the form of his son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for us. The truth, how we treat others is a tangible, measurable thing. And I love that because I like tangible, measurable things. I tend to approach the Bible in an intellectual mindset because it's measurable. How much I learn can indicate how much I've gained, where I'm going and where I'm, but there are times where we're kind of in this, I don't know where I'm at, you know, how, how saved am I? You know, how, how spiritual am I? And we wrongly compare ourselves to other people. We either compare them to those who are worse than us and feel good, or we compare them to those who are better than us and we feel bad about ourselves. But the Bible offers us things like how we give and how we serve shows where we're at. And that's tangible, that's measurable. Ask those questions. How, 
you know, what false things might I be teaching or, you know, uh, perpetuating? And how am I loving other people? How am I loving my wife or my husband? How am I loving my children? How am I loving my outer family, my extended family and, and my friends? And how am I treating those who are unlovable? How am I treating those who are different than me? How am I treating those who are disabled? You know, of all the things in the church that we've made strides in, you know, we still, we still don't do a really good job of reaching out to those who are, are mentally and physically disabled. And it's something that we as a church, uh, you know, as the need arises, we need to address that and approach that uh, through fear and trembling, through prayer and supplication and fasting and, and how we can best uh, suit our, our, our community. Because I've lived here and I've lived in California and I find that for the amount of population we have, there is a high level of those who are disabled. And they're the people that God has called us to serve. But if you're looking at them and you're like, oh, they're less or they're not, you know, they don't deserve or, you know, you're just, you don't have time for them we've missed out on a great ministry opportunity. So don't, don't fall for that mindset. How do we love? The truth tells us who we really are. A.W. Tozer is one of my favorite theologians. He's one of my favorite theologians because uh, he's dead. You might say, Pastor Trey, why, why is he one of your favorite? Why does that make him your favorite? Because modern day theologians who are alive, I find, the ones that I keep uh, listening to or following their blog, or, they keep doing stuff <laughs> that get them in trouble. They take money from their ministries. They cheat on their wife. They get full of themselves and it becomes about, you know, harnessing power rather than building a kingdom. Dead theologians can't sin anymore. I really enjoy that. And what you know about them is already known. Like if there was some kind of scandal or something that happened in their life, you know about it and you can see repentance and things like that. Well, that's one of the reasons why I love A.W. Tozer. He was also a man who, who I think he barely finished high school, if at all, and never went to seminary, uh, never went to some uh, a college to, to earn a degree or a doctorate. I have nothing against that. Pastor Ben has done that, extremely proud of him. Uh, and, and would never tell anybody not to do that, but I didn't do that. And so I enjoy the fact that God can use anybody he can use the, 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 the student, the theologian with the master's degree, um, and he can use the guy who just barely finished, co- or finished high school. You can use the guy who didn't finish high school. He can use the guy who was a fisherman with his dad and just said, hey, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And he can do ma- great and mighty things with people like that. But A.W. Tozer said this, you can be as straight as a gun barrel theologically and be as empty as one spiritually. We can have all of the facts about the truth, but how we respond to the truth is what really matters. If we only have the knowledge of the truth, but don't do anything about that, we're like that gun. We're straight as a barrel theologically, but spiritually we're empty. It's like going to the doctor and finding out you have cancer and then them telling you chemo will help you. This particular regimen will help kick that cancer. And you're like, oh, okay. And you have the knowledge of that now, but you never take it. Will that knowledge help you? No. The cancer will continue to grow and run rampant until you actually apply the knowledge that has been given to you. Take this, internalize it, make it a part of you so that it can fight from the inside out. If you know the truth about Jesus, that does not make you a Christian just by that exchange. How do you respond to the truth? How do you respond to the measurement of your life? You know, we all have bills to pay. I know we do. I'd ask you to raise your hand, but that's just a silly question. We all have debt. We all have things that we need to pay off. And if you don't have debt, you're a unicorn and we want to know how you did that. But if you have debt, then you're probably like a normal American. You all have the knowledge that, that what will pay off those debts? Money, right? But does that mean we have money? No. Does that mean the debt's paid off? No, we have the knowledge. We know what will fix it. But without learning from, attaining, exercising that truth of putting money against that bill, it'll never be paid off. And so we might know Jesus and the truth 
But that doesn't mean that we are truly free. And that's what we're really talking about today. Because the Bible tells us, Jesus specifically tells us that those who know the truth are what? Set free. Let that word free kind of just ring out for a moment. Let it kind of just resonate, bounce around in your head from it. Because true freedom, I mean, we, we know it since I was old enough to comprehend anything. I've been told I was an American and I have freedom and the freedom to choose and the freedom to do this and the freedom to do that. And I have known like you, freedom, the rest of the world covets, okay? People aren't clamoring to get into other countries because they lack the freedom that we have. And we should never take that for granted. But this freedom that we have in this country, as good as it is, is not the same as the freedom that the Bible speaks of. The freedom that the Bible brings us is completely different, more important, more powerful, more essential, more needed. It's the power, it's the freedom from sin, Satan, and death. See, because when you see sin and Satan and death as the true oppressors of your life, you can be anywhere and still feel like you're in jail, like you're in a prison. Many of you know I'm from California. How many people here love New York weather? Be honest, love New York weather. Okay, handful of you, and now everybody's gonna look at you funny when you come into church next time. I love it. I love the, there's a, quite a bit of rain. The Lord was trying that like or that love of New York weather here in the last couple of days. I love the snow. I love shoveling the snow. I hurt my back shoveling snow, didn't even care. So much fun. I love the fall with the leaves. I love the spring. Don't care for the mud so much, but I just, I love New York weather. Do you know why? Because I grew up in California where it was 70 with a breeze for 320 some odd days throughout the whole year. And you're like, Pastor Tony, nobody's crying for you. <laughs> nobody's crying for you, Pastor Tony. We would long for that. And, and what comes across your mind when you hear that type of weather is, man, things would be so much different if I were there. If that was, if I could go there, life would be completely different. No more, you know what one of the biggest culture shocks for me coming here was? We gotta put away our summer clothes to pull out our winter clothes. What? You mean you don't, you don't wear the same shorts in the summer as you do in the winter? Like, is there a winter tank top I need to find? Like, that was really weird to me. Like, have whole bins of clothes that get switched out at different times of the year. But let me tell you this, as somebody who grew up in California, Southern California, like when you see surfer guys and, you know, valley girls and all that cliche stuff from the 80s and 90s, I mean, that was essentially what I grew up in. It's just as empty if you don't have Jesus. Your surroundings, your environment are only as good as your relationship with Jesus. I don't love the weather here because I love weather in and of itself. I love Jesus. So where he takes me, I find joy in it because my true joy is rooted in him. Hey, it's raining like crazy. Okay. Oh, it's snowing. It won't stop snowing. Oh, the, it's super hot and muggy and the bugs are out and they're the size of Frisbees and, and okay. You know, I don't like the bugs, but the sunshine is good. Got to put away the winter clothes to get out the summer clothes and vice versa. Good. It's, it's never, it's not going to rain. That was the thing about California. It wouldn't rain for like ever. And you'd be like, you get to a point where you're like, oh, it's sunny and sunny and breezy again today. If you don't believe me, have your wife make you your favorite meal every day for two weeks. Believe me, by the end of that second week, you'd be like, can we have something else? <laughs> can I have toast? Can I have cereal? Can I have anything else? Because I've just had this every day for two weeks. Your environment will not change the truth. It might make it easier. Sure. You know, seeing a snowplow on the front of a truck for the first time, that was surreal. Seeing rust all over cars like every other car, that was surreal. Didn't see that growing up in California because there's no salt on the roads. There's no snow to plow. In the same way that if you went there, if, we were told, if you were told right away to duck and cover, how many people here know what, that, what that's for, duck and cover? Sarah went to, is in California, actually lived through a duck and cover. Earthquake. Growing up as a kid, we used to have earthquake drills. Five years old in kindergarten. Okay, get under your desk 
get out of your, uh, get underneath your plastic molded and half inch piece of formica with aluminum legs, get under that desk so that if the roof caves in, you'll survive. Okay, teacher, and you get under your desk. Okay, now we're gonna march single file outside. Now, California's not without its stuff. But so many of us, we look at some place far away and say, if I were only there, maybe it's not a geographical place, maybe it's just a place in our, if I was just healthier or richer or, or stronger or, or more in control or if I just had more security, then everything would be okay. But I'm here to tell you that the truth is the truth no matter where you go, no matter what you need, no matter what you have. And when your truth is that you need something else to serve Jesus better, there'll never be enough. It's insatiable. It's unquenchable. That fire. To be set free, you need to know the truth. Jesus put it like this. In John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. Now from now on, you have seen him. Jesus is that truth. And Jesus says that the truth sets you free. True freedom, real freedom. Freedom from the bonds of this culture, lifestyle, area, whatever. True freedom is found in Jesus alone. The way, the truth, and the life. This life that he has died to give us is not found anywhere else. It's found in Jesus alone. Hebrews 10 and 20 says, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. You and I, we miss the Jewishness of that verse, the Hebrewness of that verse. The book of Hebrews written to Hebrew people understood temple worship. In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed and has yet to be rebuilt. But up until that time, there was a temple where you had a series of courts. And so you had a big wall where everybody could go inside and then another wall that kept the Gentiles out and another wall that kept the women out and another wall that kept everybody who wasn't a priest out. And then you had this place called the Holy of Holies. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And it was, had one entrance with a huge veil, curtain. Not a veil like a bride has, like that stuff is like, you could rip it, not even trying. This was like 12 feet tall and so many inches thick and pure, thick. It, it was meant to keep people out. It was not a welcome sign. It was not, hey, come behind this curtain. It was like, no, you can't go behind here. This holy of holies place was permitted uh, or permissible. It, was, it was, could be entered in by the high priest during Yom Kippur, the, the day of atonement, and he'd go in there covered in blood to make atonement for the sins of the Jews, for the Jewish nation of Israel. When Jesus died on the cross, I don't mean this in a crass way, all hell broke loose, meaning graves were opened up, the sky went black, and the veil separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the world, not just the rest of the temple, but the rest of the world was torn in two. And the Bible tells us it wasn't just about ripping that, that curtain. The curtain that was truly broken so that we might enter in was the body of Christ. Because of what Jesus has done, now we can enter in. We can go to, when we pray and we treat it so flippantly, we lose the fact that Jesus's body was broken, ripped in two so that we could go in and even do that. Now, don't get legalistic about this. We can come in like kids all running up, sticky from peanut butter and just sit on his lap and he don't care. But what I'm saying is don't lose sight of, of what bought that privilege, the sacrifice of Christ. Ephesians 2 and 18 says, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Today we're connected to the Trinity of God by the Son, the second person of that Trinity. One day we will stand before God and if our faith is in Christ, we'll stand before him in Christ and, and God the Father will see his son and we will be counted righteous, not because we did good things, but because Jesus did the best thing. And, and the question remains, 
How does that truth affect your life? Can you leave here today the same person based on that truth? See, because when I look out on the world, everybody's trying to sell you a truth, right? Buy this book, buy this thing, buy this program, go to this school, come get this job, order this product, and everything will be fine. And they sell you that truth, and it's not really truth. Fleeting moment at best. Like I mentioned before, a shot of, a shot of dopamine to the head, and then it fizzles away, and your left is empty, if not more empty than you were beforehand. The truth is that Jesus loves you. That Jesus exemplified that truth in taking your sin and taking it to the cross so that you might be saved. You know, there's a lot of people who have romanticized that and that's good, if that's good for them. It doesn't help me necessarily. Maybe it helps you, maybe it doesn't help you. But the truth is the truth whether we accept it, reject it, or are apathetic towards it. And I find that most Christians, they don't reject it. You know, if I was to go around the room now, you'd be like, yeah, I know, I know all that, but we're apathetic towards it. It doesn't, doesn't change anything about us. It doesn't change how we parent our children. It doesn't change how we love our spouses. It doesn't change how we work at our workplace. It doesn't change how we serve our church. When I think about you guys and what's needed here and what I need to do, my first motivation is the truth of Christ. Because if I don't, if I don't have that truth, at some point I'm gonna get tired and burnt out and wanna stop. And as far as I know, that's not really on the agenda. You know, there are people here that need to be shepherded. And so shepherds got a shepherd, right? Haters are gonna hate, but shepherds got a shepherd. But what does that truth do to you? What does that truth change about your life? I'll give you a few, I'll give you a few ways it should change your life. And they're general, they're not specific. Everybody's got a different road they're walking and, and I respect that. Some of you are thinking, well, you don't know what I'm going through. You're right, I don't know what you're going through. I know what I've been through and you don't know what I've been through other than what I've shared. But the truth tells us where we're from tells us our roots. It tells us our purpose and where we come from. The, the, the vine is Christ, but the branches are us and we're rooted to him. And in the same way that, you know, I had this vision as we were worshiping and I don't use that word lightly. So please, please bear with me here. I'm not a guy who just has vision every five seconds. Like I truly believe it was a vision. You know, let's just tell, tell the truth as it is. We're not a large congregation, right? There are certainly churches gathering here today that would dwarf us, right? But I had this vision of, 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 a, of a tiny, tiny tree that you couldn't pull out of the ground. It was small and there was nothing else around it. I mean, it was, but I saw, uh, and the roots were so down deep that it couldn't be pulled out. We are rooted in Christ, and when we are rooted in Christ, it doesn't matter how small or how big we are. We're, we're solid. And everything else, the wind might come, the, the, the storms might come, and all those metaphors, but we're not going anywhere because of Jesus. Not because we're super strong, but because the roots of who we are are super strong. Because they are of Jesus. The truth tells us that our family roots and our job history roots and our financial roots don't matter as much as those roots. It tells us what we are, who we are. We're a child of God. And you know, we can lose sight of how important that is. Meaning, okay, I'm a child, I'm a child. Oh, that's a friend of God. I'm a child of God. Okay, good, I'm a child of God. But think about that for a moment. It, it only, it, it looks so much more important, as important as it really is, when you realize beforehand you were an orphan. You know, you ever watch those um, stay up real late at night and you watch some late program and they have a commercial? In the arms of an angel. You hear that voice? And some kid, he's an orphan somewhere around the world. And you're like, man, that kid needs somebody. The Bible tells us that's us apart from Christ. That's who we are. 
They serve as an example, not just as somebody to serve, but they show us our position without Jesus. But once we meet Jesus, that all changes. He doesn't just give us 19 cents a day from 3,000 miles away. He comes and adopts us into his family. Ethan was asking me what, it was a song we were singing and it was, talks about how Jesus is the lion, the lion of Judah. He's like, what does that mean? The lion of Judah? I'm like, well, Judah was a son of, of, of Jacob. It's a tribe. Like, that would be kind of like Jesus' last name, sort of. I mean, not really, but he's of the tribe of Judah. And if, and if, you, if you were born at that time and you were of the tribe of Judah or Dan or Benjamin or Levi or, you know, this guy or that guy or whatever, you would say, yeah, I'm, my name's Tony. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, like Tony Benjamin. I'm Jesus from the tribe of Judah, like Jesus Judah, right? When we're adopted in, we have this new name. We're no longer just Tony Paredes or, you know, Joe Schmo or whoever you are. That's who you are, you know, now, but you're being made into a brand new creation. And you now have the name of Christ written on you. Not just, not just like a tattoo and not just as a banner, but written on your heart. It's eternally your name and who you are. It changes your roots. It pre- changes who you are now. And it changes where you're going. I'm all for heaven. Heaven's a good thing. When you read about heaven, A, all of your preconceived notions are kind of squashed. You don't see chair, you know, fat little angels flying around with harps on clouds. You don't see your loved ones turned into angels. You don't see any of that. What you see in the Bible is a multitude of saints like a sea of glass roaring like peals of thunder before the throne of God where there are these creatures and actual cherubim and seraphim flying around and worshiping God forever and ever and ever and ever and nobody's tired of it and nobody says, can we stop now? And nobody says, flows is gonna close and nobody says anything like they just keep worshiping and worshiping and worshiping and worshiping. And the book of Revelation says there's a new heavens and there's a new earth where God is with us and we are his people. There's a river of flowing living water and streets made of gold and leaves for the healing of nations and all this, all this stuff. And when, when you read about heaven, sometimes we say, we just try to get people to be with Jesus to get to heaven. That's a good thing, don't get me wrong, but It's not just about getting to heaven. It's not just about getting your golden ticket into the chocolate factory. It's about living now. It's about worshiping now, following now, being born again now. One of my favorite quotes is that if you are a Christian, this is as close to hell as you'll ever get. But if today, if you have not been born again, this is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. And so the reality, the theology of heaven is absolutely true. But I tell you this, it starts today with your giving your life to Jesus. If you've never done that, it's our prayer. There's no, we're not doing the shell game. We're not trying to get you to church so that we can be like, oh, hey, and by the way, Jesus. You know, we don't do concerts and potlucks to be like, hey, let's trick them into coming to church and then they'll they'll hear the message and then they'll give their life to Christ. No, our goal is that you would know Jesus and walk with him all the days of your life. That you'd be born again, a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, Holy Spirit-filled person. Forgiven, loved forever. That's our goal. That's our purpose. If you're not there today, then hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Not Not my voice. The voice that's been talking to you for as long as you can remember. The one that won't leave you alone. The one that keeps nudging you. because the spirit wants to set you free. Set free people, stay free by abiding in Christ. It's like saying, let me give you, let me give you the SAT kind of metaphorical type of a thing. It's like saying people who are inside the house uh, are dry from the rain. Set free people are people who abide in Christ and their freedom is found in him. And so today, if you're wondering, what do I do with this knowledge? What do I do with this truth? First, and this is always first, repent. Grace has been extended to you that you might repent. We don't repent so that we receive grace. No, grace has been extended to you so that you might repent. If you come to a place where you're like, Lord, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I'm not doing it again. I don't know why you use that voice. But you do that, it's because God has given you the grace to do so. He's opened your eyes to the truth. And so you repent, Lord, my life has not been lived according to this truth. All of us, we know this, John said, we, know, we can know that we're of the truth. This is not fleeting vapor, hidden mirrors and smoke behind the curtain, great Oz type of mysterious information. We can know. So Lord, I repent. Give your life to Jesus. Lord, I give my life to you. Maybe it's the first time, maybe it's the thousandth time. You gotta keep giving yourself back to the Lord because we keep taking ourselves back, don't we? I hate that metaphor, I hate that analogy, but that's the way it is. Pray, talk to Jesus. And live with the truth that he loves you. Not for what you do, not for what you bring to the table. Honestly, he loves you in spite of those things. Will God use your talents and your time and your treasure? Absolutely. Yeah, and it's a privilege to be in that place, to be used of God. It really is. But he doesn't call you because you bring a lot of stuff with you. Oh, I can use, I can use Tony because he can do X, Y, and Z. No, it's I'm going to bring in Tony and then I'm going to use him to do X, Y, and Z. I'm going to make him able to do X, Y, and Z. I'm going to use Henry and Vi and Tim and Carrie and Dan and Ben. And I'm going to use them not because they're talented at this or can do that, but because their hearts are willing before me. I was going, we keep track of numbers here at the church, you know, attendance and how many kids. And we also keep track of volunteers. Do you know that often on a Sunday, we have more than 25% of the people here volunteering? I think that's astounding. I, I, I imagine if you compare that to other churches, they wouldn't find that kind of ratio. But we'll have 40 people on a Sunday and 15 people will be volunteering. Making coffee, running sound, doing this, doing that. Strong little tree, deeply rooted. And we can use more volunteers. We can always use more people. But that being said, without the truth, it just becomes work. But with the truth, truth is like looking through a whole new pair of glasses. It's like, it's like seeing for the first time because you've been set free. I don't know about you, but I like being set free. And when I'm no longer free, it makes freedom that much more attractive and delicious and savory when I do, when I do re realize it and know it and, and throw off the shackles of whatever's been throwing me down or bringing me down. So give yourself to Jesus today. I want you to go out there, have a barbecue, cook good food, blow up part of your yard with some fireworks, have friends and family over. Don't blow up your yard. That was a joke. Uh, set off fireworks. That was kind of a metaphor for that. I see some of your wheels turn. Have a great celebration of our freedom in this country. But I want you to remember that that's not the freedom that Jesus came to give you. You can thank him for it, but the freedom that he has for you today is the freedom from sin, Satan, and death. And now our command is to abide in him, to stay in him, to not leave him. He has promised to not leave us, amen? He's promised not to forsake us, right? And so our job is, Lord, create in me a clean heart so that I ask for the right things, so that I stay in you, that I don't wander off like the hundredth sheep. Do we ever see ourselves as that, as that hundredth sheep? I pray that we do. So let's stand together and let's pray. It is a privilege and an honor to preach here to you. Um, but let me be clear. It's not my words that save you. It's not my prayers that save you. It's not my anything that saves you. It's Jesus. And I wanna pray for you now in his name that today the truth will indeed set you free. Father, we come to you today in the name of the glorious Jesus Christ. 
your son whom you sent to die on a cross for our sins because your word says our sins separated us from you, but now we've been reconciled to you through his blood. And today, Lord, we marvel at this freedom that you have given us. This truth that you tell us will set us free. That's the truth we want today, Lord. The truth, the knowledge of Christ that has saved us. And so today, Lord, we wanna live like free people. We live in a great country where we have freedoms that are unparalleled, unlike any other country on this planet right now. And we may not always have that, but in this moment we do, we, we thank you for it. But I pray that those wouldn't be the end all of our freedoms, that our freedom that we're truly seeking and, and wanting to abide in would be the freedom that comes from Jesus alone. The freedom to overcome sin, the freedom to overcome Satan, and to one day even overcome death. Father, we, we wait for you to return in Jesus Christ again. I pray that we would be ready, that you wouldn't come and find people without faith, but that you would find people of faith. Faith in you, what you've done, and what you're about to do, Lord. May it change everything about us. In your name we pray, amen. Church.